grab your Bibles. We're going to jump right into it. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all, the holy, to, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from, our, uh, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending, uh, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if you've studied Paul at all, you understand Paul can write letters. I mean, the New Testament contains, we call them books, uh, most of them are letters, but uh, you know, uh, it contains 27 books. 13 of them were written by Paul. And if you, you, know, you start to understand Paul's story as we go through this, and, and if you under his, understand his stories, his life and his writings, when you get to heaven, you're gonna feel like you know him. You're like, hey, Paul, good, you know, and Paul's going to be, well, who are you, you know, but that's okay. You know, the teachings that he gives, we can live by these words because they were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Paul has a unique, uh, he's very unique in the first century church. All 13 books were letters, and he wrote these letters in the middle of everything else that was going on. He was a tent maker. He was a, a guy who was always working. He seems like every chance he got, he would sit down and write letters in his busy life. Usually guys don't like to write, correct? How many of you guys like to write? One, okay. Two, okay. I tell you, you know, we like short emails and short text messages, right? One word text messages, back and forth, you know. That's typical, guys, not all. But here we have these letters written by the Apostle Paul that, are, that we can read today. This man was able to sit down with the help of scribes. Uh, Timothy was one of them, Silas and Luke. They were all close, uh, close friends. In fact, between Luke and Paul, 50% of the New Testament was written. And the difference between our letters and their letters is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing was anointed. His writings were, were not only powerful and good, and I don't know if he knew this or not, but his words would carry on through the Holy Spirit until today. So I don't know when he sat down and started writing these things if he thought, wow, these letters are going to be preserved through all time. You know, these are going to be part of the Holy Scripture. I don't think he thought that way at all, but you know, and you and I, we get to read these. 
We get to read these run-on sentences where he just goes on and on and on. It's like he keeps putting a comma. And English teachers hate this, okay? Uh, it's like me up here talking. Sometimes I just go on and on and on. You know, just keep putting those commas. But sometimes we have to slow down and we have to go word by word to really get the nuance of what he's trying to say and what he's trying to teach, and what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. Uh, you know, not only to the Philippians, but also to us today. Sometimes word for word. Paul is writing the very words of God to the New Testament church. His words were anointed to the, uh, to the point where the churches would copy and circulate the letters. They would go, I received this, let me send it over to Pastor Lewis. Pastor Lewis receives it, let me go send it to Pastor Bob. And Pastor Bob receives it, he copies it and sends it over to another you know, church or something like that. Okay, that is what was going on. And Paul was responsible also for starting so many of these churches. So today we're going to start looking at the background for this letter. And the reason why we look at the background is so when we actually get to the letter, we'll really understand where he's coming from. Paul writes to so many different churches, and he nurtures them. He brings them along. He comes back to them, and he says stuff like, you know what, guys? I heard this was going on, and oh, I love you guys, and I want to encourage you to not do what you're doing. I want to encourage you instead to do it this way and go to the next level in a sense. Each week that we dive into this book, we will find verses that we already know. You will recognize so many of them. Many of you have been saying these verses for years. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. There's so many different verses that you'll recognize here, and sometimes we get to a point in our life where maybe we feel we've lost our way. And I think this is the point where we need to start sharing with each other what God is doing in our lives. We need to start talking to one another. I mean, as a pastor, I get to hear more than most, you know. Uh, oh, this spoke to me in the sermon, or this or that, or, or this is what's going on, and, and the Lord said this to me. But unfortunately, I think many Christians assume that nothing is going on when, you know, when they themselves are, you know, feel kind of down or feel kind of lost. And this is why I truly believe that we should be talking to each other about what God is doing in our lives, because you'll be amazed. You'll be encouraged. God is going to take this book and use it to encourage us, to speak to us, and to change our lives. These are great words from 61 AD. Paul writes this from a prison cell in Rome. And this is the, the history of where he is and, and why he feels like uh, he feels uh, this love toward them. And, and we'll get to that. But, but you know, going, uh, we're, we're going to go to Acts right now. So around 61 AD, Paul is in jail. In 50 AD, he was in, the, he was in Philippi with the Philippians. And 11 or, or 12 years later, he writes back to them. And he's sitting in a prison and thinking about them and thinking about life and thinking about the situation that he is in. He's literally chained to other guys. When I say other guys, I mean guards. They literally would chain the prisoner to a guard. And the Philippines comes to his thoughts. And he writes him a letter. 
From time to time, Paul would get in the situation where all he could do was write because he was stuck and he couldn't do anything else. And thank God for that because we have the scriptures today. So he's in prison, he's thinking about old times and certain sounds or foods or, or trips. You know, you see a picture or you smell something and it takes you right back to that place. Anybody like that at all? Yeah, I'm like that. And it just takes you right back there and you connect with them. And this is what Paul's doing. He's remembering great things. Paul met them on a second missionary journey. He took four different journeys. His first journey was Paul and Barnabas. Uh, you know, Bar Barnabas, a son of encouragement. And in Acts 13, we're not really going to go there, but, but uh, uh, they, were, they were like, hey, let's, let's get out of Antioch and let's spread the word of God. And they invited John Mark, this little young guy, with them. And, and by the time they traveled all over, they came to a Turkish city named Pergi or Pergi. John Mark, at this point, is flaking on them. He's like, this isn't what I thought it was. And he takes off, okay, but Paul and Barnabas, they continue on. One miracle after another is happening, and God is just totally using them. And the gospel is spreading, and he starts all these churches, 40, 50, 60 churches he just starts. And one place he is taken out of the city and literally almost beaten to death. And he gets back up, and he walks back into that city and continues to preach. Now, ironically, everywhere Paul went, he was somewhat controversial. Why? Well, he would go to the synagogue first. What is a synagogue? A synagogue is a place where a Jew would worship God. Paul did not see this as a new religion. Paul saw this as a continuation of the Jewish religion through the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? So Paul sees it as one continuous thing. So he would go to the synagogue and preach the word of God. He was a Pharisee, he understood. So as he went there, he would bring up Jesus. He would start talking about, the, you know, about that to, to them and, and, they would, and oftentimes it would turn into a debate. Now, I like a good debate, I like a good discussion, even a passionate one sometimes. As long as it, uh, uh, at the end of dinner we can still eat dessert together. You know what I'm saying? That you're not ready to leave, you know? I'm okay with the debate as long as it's not divisive. The problem, though, is that we get this attitude that we get toward this other person. The problem, the bigger problem is we think we're right. How many of you think you're always right? I mean, I'll raise my hand there. You know, we think we're always right because, I mean, we're, 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 we're confident in what we're saying or what we believe. That's not necessarily wrong. You just have to temper that down a little bit, and you have to be willing to change and to think, okay? But we start to take it personal, and then sin enters the picture. It usually happens because we're so dogmatic about a point, and we don't want to think about other people's point of view, where we can't stand a person because they think a certain way. Oh, they're, they're a libertarian. Oh, they're, they're a Democrat. Oh, they're a Republican. How dare, I mean, oh. When you start thinking this way, this is what we call sin. Plain and simple, sin. You feel this way about another person 
you're sinning. Now, Paul did not run from controversy. He just tried to deal with it in a healthy way. We must learn how to love each other in the middle of life. Even Paul and Barnabas were upset at each other at one point. At the end of life, Paul's life, he literally gets back together with Barnabas and a wound is healed. But I wonder, they started out so well in the first missionary journey, I wonder what would happen in ministry if Paul and Barnabas had stayed together. Now, God had used them both. He made it, uh, you know, but it, it still makes me wonder. Now, the reason why, well, there's three, diff- three different kind of reasons Paul was, uh, was controversial in my point of view. One, political. He was part of what they called the way. And what that means is Christians. The way and little Christians, it was a derogatory term toward Christians. Rome was very uncomfortable with Christians. Does that sound like any government that you know of? How about multiple governments? They don't know what to do with Christians. As far as the Romans were concerned, Jesus was in charge of a cult, and Paul was spreading this cult thing around, so politically, it was very controversial. Secondly, the Jewish community. We talked about how he would go to the synagogue first, and, 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 and then what was happening is the synagogue would put their foot down and kick Paul out, and it was splitting the synagogue. So because you had all these people who are believing what Paul is saying, and then they would follow Paul. So you would have this kind of, in a sense, these church splits, but, but uh, in a sense, these were the good church splits, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it would have been nice for Paul to be able to stay in the church and preach about Jesus, but they wouldn't allow that to happen. God wanted Paul to go to the synagogue. He wanted, them to, to, he wanted him to tell them about Jesus so that they would understand, for their eyes to be opened. But in reality is, Half said you were crazy, and the other half said you were right. Now, thirdly, the Jews chose not to believe. So God brought the message to the whole world. Paul was at the forefront of controversy because the Jews said, no, 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 no. You don't go to the Gentiles and teach them anything Jewish. I say all this to remind you that when God when we allow God to work in our lives, there will be controversy. There'll be controversy in our families. There'll be controversy in our schools. There'll be controversy over, over coffee, over dinner, on fishing trips. There'll be controversy. And on Facebook, I don't recommend you fighting about God over Facebook, okay? I don't recommend that. But controversy seems to follow where God goes. Because when we agree to go where God goes with our lives, then we'll have controversy in those areas. Sometimes even at church. But I do want to say that before you think you have permission to be controversial, that you need to make sure you're hearing from the Lord. Because we can become too dogmatic on certain points and say, I am right and you are wrong, but we need to make sure that that's coming from the Lord. Because you disagree with your brother or sister in Christ. In Christ, that love has to be there. And if you feel the Lord has given you clarity, 
then don't be obnoxious about it. Some people just go, well, this comes from God, so no, 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 you know, and they just, they're so obnoxious about it that you lose the message completely, and the love is gone. The Lord has told me that I am right, and you are wrong. Well, yeah, like that's ever going to change somebody's mind, right? <laughs> Before you go talk to a person, make sure it's from the Lord, and then when you go, don't go with an attitude. You know, like a parent. Does your attitude affect your children? Yeah, it does. One piece of warning. If you don't handle things in a godly way and people get mad at you, you can't blame God. You only have yourself to blame. On the first missionary journey, it was two years long. And after two years, they get back to Antioch and they start telling the stories about what happened. And Luke starts writing down these stories, you know, the book of Acts. Luke starts writing down these things. And in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and Silas, and a few others, the leadership, they said, come tell us your stories. We want to hear. Let us know what's been happening. And this is really the first controversy between that group at all. And the attitude is this. Heaven forbid we talked with non-Jews about God. So you still had, you know, Peter, James, and John, and all them guys going, no, 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 we need to go to the Jews. This is for the Jews. This isn't for the rest of the world. You can't do that. But Paul's reaction is, whoa, whoa, wait a second. God told me to go to the Gentiles. Am I supposed to go against God? So there was this controversy, and, and, and they started talking about it and talking it through. And Peter stands up and says, you know what? I just had his dream the other night, and what he's doing is right. In Acts 10, you'll find this and, and, and their response to this. And, and they, they basically said, okay, if you go out to the Gentiles, here's some things we would like for you to, to do at the very beginning. In other words, here's the rules. Not to be closer to God, but to bring others to God. In other words, go to the Jews first, always, before you go to the Gentiles. And if you do these things, the Jews won't necessarily be offended by what you're doing. So in Acts 15, Paul wants to get back on the mission field. In fact, it goes on in Scripture here in, in Acts 15, uh, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, or Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him. He bagged on us the first time. How dare you suggest we're going to take him? Because he deserted them in, in that town and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So you see how the Lord, even though they, they have disagreement, the Lord still uses both of them. And then in Acts 16, we see that Paul hooks up with Timothy. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And he traveled from town to town, 
They delivered the, the, the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. What is really cool about this is Timothy is this woman's son. This woman who saved Paul on his first missionary journey. And a wonderful relationship develops here. When, and the Lord is totally in the middle of it. But, uh, and, and, and somewhere in the middle of, of this, they pick up Luke on the journey. And, and we all know Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And in the middle of this, um, he changes uh, from they to we. At, at some point in Acts, he's like, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. And all of a sudden it says, we did this, and we did this, and we, because he's included at this point uh, with them. It goes on in verse 6 here, and it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region um, of uh, Figer, uh, yeah, and Galatia having been kept uh, by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Asia, they tried to enter, but the Holy Spirit of Je- or, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They passed by Asia and, and went down to Tross. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in, of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision we got up, uh, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the Lord prevented them from going to one place, but opened a door for them to go to another place. Verse 11, from Tros we put out to sea and sailed straight to uh, Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. So God, he's writing to a, a church group that he had no plan to actually even go to this town uh, of Philippi. This is a long way to get to this town. In other words, we probably could have just turned to chapter 16 and got here a lot quicker, but I wanted you to get a sense of who Paul was. When he got to Philippi, he figured out pretty quick what the town was all about. Philippi was a town dedicated to Roman soldiers. So many of the Roman soldiers retired in this community. You didn't have petty theft going on around this town, I tell you. You know what I'm saying? The Roman legions, if you'd work for them, they kind of gave you social security in a way, and the town was full of Caesar's friends. Many palaces were built in this town for his friends. Two really important battles were fought here in 42 BC, and, and it, you know, it, it resulted in the defeat of, of Cassius and Brutus, the conspirators who assassinated uh, Julius Caesar. It was a cool little place. Think of, think of like Carmel, right? You go up to Carmel, it's you know, a beautiful place, cool little, uh, cool little town and all that, but lots of money, right? Big wigs, this is Philippi, okay? This is who, so if you had money, this is where you were to go. There was also a lot of trade going on through there. Verse 13, on the, on the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, what's interesting is when you came to Philippi, you would have to enter through the main city gate. 
And on that gate was inscribed across the top of the gate, okay? It is illegal to bring any unauthorized religion into this city. I mean, that's a pretty big rule if it's written across the main gate, right? Not, welcome to Philippi, enjoy your time, you know, nothing like that. Just the rule. You can't bring an unauthorized religion into the city. So you can imagine Paul. What's he going to do? He's going to have a great time, isn't he? He's going to do it anyway. He's not going to step back from this. Imagine all the people with connections in this town. The city council, you know, uh, meetings are probably always full because you have all these bigwigs there. And it goes on, it says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So he goes out to, outside the city first because he heard there was a prayer meeting going on. Verse 14, one of, these, uh, one of those listening was a woman from the city of uh, Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Very wise of this woman to sell her cloth in this city. Only royalty, only those that were, were approved by Caesar could wear the color purple. She was an importer. And here you have all these big wigs here. In the middle of the city, we see wealthy people who are spiritually hungry. People who seem to have it together. The Lord opened her, uh, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of the household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the reason why we believe the church actually started meeting at her house eventually. And they stayed there for a long time at this rich woman's house. And this is how the church of Philippi starts. Verse 16, it says, once when we, were, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit uh, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she had a reputation of telling the you know, future. And she's saying this and she's screaming this. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before, them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. These guys are breaking the law, they said. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. You know, it's great to be a Christian in, in the middle of God's will, isn't it? <laughs> drag you out and they beat you because of it and many times we would go this is not how it should be this is not how a relationship with Christ was described to us because it's all about blessing and God blessing us right and God financially taking care of I mean that's what the world teaches some of the huge churches teaches this prosperity gospel but they don't cover stuff like this 
Oh, by the way, you're also going to be taken out of town and beaten and stripped and all that kind of stuff. What? You know, excuse me? But what is a relationship with Christ? Or, or, or what a relationship with Christ does is this. It gives you a way to cope with tragedies. It gives you a way to cope with difficult times so we can deal with them, so we don't end up like the world. A person that's always preached the prosperity gospel, when it doesn't work out, what do they do? They leave. They leave. But when you, t- uh, you know, teach the path of, you know, the scriptures say, though he goes through the valley of the shadow of death, you also know that you get through that valley Okay, that was an actual physical place that that David was writing about. At the end, you get through the valley. God is going with you through that valley of difficult times. So don't give up hope. We need to hang on to the hope. He goes on in verse 23 and says, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in the prison. And the jailer was uh, commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul's reaction must be just like us, right? We have a rough day, we get beat up, thrown in the prison, and at midnight, we just start singing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Imagine the other prisoners about 2 a.m. Come on, guys, can you just shut up? I'm trying to sleep, you know? But they're listening because they have nothing else going on. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what what must I do to be saved? So think about this for a second. You're stripped, you're beaten, you come back into the city, and you're thrown in the jail, and you're like, oh, woe is me. I mean, that's how you and I would feel, right? I mean, Paul's a little different, okay? He's got this mountain of faith, and that's the direction we went ahead. But think about this. Was he, did all that happen just so this jailer could say, Sir, what must I do to be saved? You and I, God may put through difficulty to help someone else. But we're like, woe is me. It's all about me. It's all about my little world. When God's trying to affect somebody else that you have no clue about. You know, I've always said, this is a little different situation, but I've always said, what if Lisa and I came to Tulare just to adopt Grayson and everything else is just a bonus? Because if we didn't come to Tulare, we wouldn't adopt Grayson. You see my point? God puts you through certain things because when I left my other church, they they had a plan. I was supposed to be there for four years and I was gonna take over as senior pastor. After two years, we ran out of money. And they were trying to get the senior pastor to resign. He was ready to resign, and he didn't resign. And they're like, well, we're kind of caught in a pickle. You know, we're in a rock and a hard place. So they decided, well, let's let Alan go. 
you know, and they did it nicely and all that kind of stuff. Ironic, usually it takes 18 months to two years to, to find a new position in a church, you know. But ironic, um, and we are way over time, aren't we? You know what? I will tell this story later because I just saw my time went over. So basically, he resigned that week from the church when I was preaching here to, to interview, okay? But God just put us through a difficult time because we didn't, we were like, woe is us. But God still used it. There we go. Verse 31, they replied, believe in, Lord Jesus, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So the jailer was about to kill himself. He was, he was in a town full of retired legionnaires and basically Rome would say, if you let all these prisoners go, we get to kill you. You get to take the punishment of what they should have received. That's how Rome did things, okay? Uh, but you, know, you could hear the conversation. You, know, you were still here, why didn't you run? Because the Lord protects us on a daily basis, they would have replied. Verse 32, then they spoke the, uh, spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour the night of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They immediately, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because they had come to believe God, he and his whole household. So the jailer is now filled with joy, probably for the first time in a long time because, I mean, he had prisoners around him all day long, right? When it was daylight, the magistrates sent the officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, wait a second. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens. And then they threw us into prison. And now you want to get rid of us quickly? I don't think so. Let them come themselves and escort us out. See, they were Roman citizens, and that, that caused a big issue. You couldn't do that to Roman citizens. You couldn't. goes on and says... They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. They basically said, here's the fruit basket. Here's the key to the city. Uh, but this was Paul's experience in the city of Philippi. So when he writes to them, he's gone through a hard time with them. He's developed relationships with them. So when he thinks about them, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is thinking about them, about bringing God to them. This church was the only church that financially supported Paul in his ministry for the rest of his life. And it started with two women and then their husbands and this ex-demon-possessed teenager, this old jailer and his family, this church started with love. And he writes, every time I think of you, it makes me happy. Isn't that awesome? So that's the book that we're going to go into. Let me pray. Uh, Tyler will just forgo the last song since I talked and talked. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for Paul. We thank you for uh, these ladies. We even thank you for this demon-possessed teenager. 
that you can change lives of anyone and everyone. They just have to be open and willing to, to hear you and your voice. Lord, I just thank you for our believers that are here. We pray that you encourage us that as we get through this book, that we see you throughout it. In your loving name, Jesus, amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day.